Father, we pray that you would give us a heart resigned, submissive, meek, our dear Redeemer's throat, where only Christ is heard to speak, where Jesus reigns alone. So, Lord Jesus, speak to us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a sentence I didn't think that I would ever say. I would have to agree with Elton John. While there's lots of things that I would disagree with Elton John about, I think he got it spot on whenever he sang. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. And perhaps at this moment I need to say sorry to you if you now have Elton John singing in your head. Or maybe if you're younger, uh, the pop group Blue, uh, who also sang that song. Sorry, if sorry seems to be the hardest word, is now playing in your head. Try and turn that down so that you can listen in to this sermon. But just think of the last time that you were in the wrong And you try to argue your way out of it. Your inner lawyer jumps to your defence to give any number of reasons or excuses why actually it wasn't really your fault at all. Lots of other words come to mind and sorry seems to be the hardest word. We'll say anything else rather than saying sorry I got it wrong. And if that's true for us then it seems to be even more so for those in the public eye. Politicians and sports stars and celebrities all seem to find it hard to say sorry when they've been caught out and the scandal breaks. There's that, I'm sorry if anyone was offended type of statement, which means that they're not really sorry at all. And the fault lies with someone else who is offended. Or at this statement which says, I'm sorry I've been caught. I'm not sorry for what I was doing wrong. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. Over these next few weeks we're looking at some of the Psalms from David's life. And today in Psalm 51, and it might be good to have it in front of you to follow along, uh, he, David, is saying sorry to God. The little words in capital letters at the very top of the psalm, these uh, tell us when the psalm was written, it says... To the choirmaster, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Now we heard that story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. David had spied Bathsheba, had committed adultery with her and she was pregnant. Her husband was away fighting David's battles And so David brings him back to try to cover up his involvement. Uriah is more honourable though. He uh, won't go home uh, while the army is still away. And so David 
resorts instead to murder. He thinks that he has gotten away with it. No one knows. It hasn't made it into the Sunday world. He's not at front page in all the newspapers saying scandal. This is what the king has done. Nobody knows. And yet the last verse of chapter 11 says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. No one else knew, but God knew. And so God sends Nathan to speak to David. He exposes his sin in that parable of the little lamb. And David is convicted. Psalm 51 then is David's response. It's not a a polished uh, press release or a hush up at say little public apology. This is a no holds barred confession saying sorry to God. And in it we see what the writer of the hymn beneath the cross of Jesus says. We see two wonders I confess. The wonders of redeeming love and my own worthlessness. Psalm 51 shows us our sin and shows us our saviour. As we dive into this psalm we'll take it in blocks of three verses each. As we see the request, the root of the problem, the restoration, the result and finally the wider application. So first then, verses 1 to 3, the request. David knows that he deserves nothing. David knows that he cannot ask for justice because he's in the wrong. And none of us could stand if God gave us what we deserve. As Dennis helped us see last week. David asks for mercy. He says, have mercy on me, O God. God, I don't deserve anything. I need your mercy. Because mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. He knows he can ask for mercy because of who he is speaking to. Look at verse 1 again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy. He knows That the God he is speaking to is full of steadfast love. That he is full of mercy. And so he requests that mercy. To blot out my transgressions. To wipe them away. To get rid of them. He needs to be cleansed and washed from his, verse 2, iniquity and his sin and his transgressions because they are ever with him. 
there ever before him. Probably every time he looks at Bathsheba, he remembers Uriah. He remembers what he has done. And David knows that he can't sort himself out. David knows that he can't fix himself. He can't clean himself up. Because if you have dirty hands and then you wipe your face to try to clean yourself, you're just going to make things worse. And so he makes this request for mercy. And he needs this request because he then addresses the root of the problem. His sin, which brings separation from God. Now having heard the story in Second Samuel, look at verse 4 in this psalm. And this sounds a little bit strange, a little bit odd. David says, against you... You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you want to shout out, but David, what about Uriah? You sinned against him, you murdered him. And what about Bathsheba? You, well, you took her and committed adultery with her. But David is right. All sin is ultimately against God. Whatever our sin of choice might be, whoever suffers, it is ultimately sin against God. Not just a breaking of God's law, but a breaking of God's heart. You see, God delights in truth in the inward being God is justified in his words and blameless in his judgment but we can't stand because verse 5 we were brought forth in iniquity we were conceived in sin you see whenever you look at a baby we, we don't start off pure and holy and then pick up sin along the way We're born in sin. We're corrupt already. As we follow our parents and our first parents, Adam and Eve, that that corruption, that, that twist in our nature is there from the very start. And that sin runs against this holy God. This is the root of our problem. Our sin. Our twisted nature. Rather than our sins. Which come out of that nature. We need to be changed. And that's what verses 7 to 12 show us. David needed restoration. We need it to be restored as God deals with our sins. Verses 7 to 9. To cleanse them and wash them and to blot them out. To to deal with our sin. And then in verses 10 to 12. God makes us new. Verse 10. Create in me 
A clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This isn't something that we can work up in ourselves. It's not try a little bit harder this week. We need God to do this work of creation, of new creation in us. A clean, new heart, not ruled by sin, but listening to God. As God gives us the Holy Spirit to fill us and change us. By restoring in us the joy of salvation. You see it's only whenever you realise the depths of your sin. That you know the joy of salvation. How far God has lifted you. And restored you. You see this restoration isn't just taking away my sin important as that is it's also adding more than we ever had before so imagine that you owed the bank a massive sum of money forgiveness would be the bank manager saying don't worry about that debt cancelling it so you don't owe any money But you don't have any money either. You just have a bank balance of zero. But this restoration that God provides is as if that friendly bank manager not only forgave your debts, but then gave you a million pounds to have in your account. We don't deserve it. But God forgives and restores and gives us more Than we could ever imagine. And this restoration leads to the result of verses 13 to 15. When we have been restored we want others to experience that joy as well. Verse 13. Then when you have done this Lord then I will teach transgressors your way. And sinners will return to you. You see our message can never be. You are so bad. You need to repent. But rather it's. Do you know I'm so bad. But God forgive me. And God will forgive you as well. Do you hear the difference in that? It's not. You pointy finger. You need to repent. It's I needed to repent. But God did it. God forgive my sin. And he'll do it for you as well. Another result will be. That we praise the Lord. Verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. David doesn't say there. Open my lips and I'll sing perfectly in tune with perfect pitch. David says open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. 
He says, I will sing aloud of your righteousness. Doesn't matter if you can sing in tune or not. The important thing is to sing. To, as someone once put, make a joyful noise. Even if you can't sing. So don't just stand waiting until the hymn is over so that you can sit down again. Sing out your praise to God. And if you sing out and you can't really sing, then that will encourage other people to sing as well. Now look at the last bit. The last verses might seem a little bit contradictory. You see, verse 16 says that God doesn't want sacrifice or burnt offerings. But verse 19 talks about God delighting in sacrifices and burnt offerings. So which is it? Does God want sacrifices or does God not want sacrifices? Verse 17 gives us the key. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God had given the sacrificial system in the first place. The whole range of sacrifices laid out in the book of Leviticus point to Jesus. But in David's day it would be easy to bring a bull to the temple to be slaughtered. Because that was what you did. It was an external act. On the outside, it might look like you're turning from your sin and turning to God. But who could tell? Who could tell? David has already said in verse 6 that God desires truth in the inward being. God sees what's on the inside so what matters most is the broken spirit in sorrow at our sin really truly sorry as we turn to God in repentance and faith in a few moments we'll be saying our confession And if you've been around for a while, you could probably say it without looking at the words. And without thinking what it really means. You say the words, but have you really confessed? Are you really sorry for your sin? God is looking for the broken spirit. Not whether you say all the right words in all the right places. When Nathan comes to David, David is convicted of his sin. He sees himself As he really is. His transgressions. His iniquity. 
and his sin. His very sinful nature. He sees his inability to help himself or save himself. And it breaks his heart for having offended against a holy God. Yet in this psalm, David also sees his saviour. The God who sees and knows and acknowledges the cry of a broken heart. The God who cleanses and heals and restores more than we have lost. The God who is holy. The God who is steadfast love and abundant mercy. The God who would give his own son in the death on the cross where his holiness and his mercy meet and our sins are forgiven and our debt is paid and we are given his righteousness credited to our account. Have you seen your sin today? Have you seen your saviour today? So come with your heart broken for your sin. Whatever you have done, whatever burdens you bear, whatever guilt you may carry for however long you have carried lay them down come in confession and come to the table to remember his love and receive his grace let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Psalm 51 we are brought face to face with our sin. Father, as we are made aware of our sinfulness and our sins, we thank you that we are also brought face to face with you, our Saviour. As we examine our heart, as we come to you with our broken heart, we pray that we would know your peace and your restoration and the joy of sins forgiven. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.